Race matters. 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 Before we begin Race Matters, as always, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Gadigal peoples as the tra- traditional custodians on of the lands and the waterways that we are gathering on today. The Gadigal peoples have been a part of this land and landscape for 80,000 years and FBI Radio is very privileged and honoured to be standing on the lands of the Gadigal peoples. Redfern is the birthplace of black activism, black theatre as well, so it's a very special place for Race Matters to gather on every week to share these types of stories and narratives and yarns and so we're always very privileged to be able to share this space of the Gadigal peoples and always thinking of them and the knowledges that they still have ingrained in this space in the landscape as well and it doesn't matter where you go on this land, doesn't matter how much bush you see, doesn't matter how many tall buildings you see, it always was and it always will be Aboriginal land so we'd like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the Gadigal peoples and their elders both past, present and emerging. Welcome to Race Matters, a show hosted by people of colour, speaking with people of colour about the ways we understand and value our racial identity. Coming up on the show, we're days out from Halloween, so what better way to do Halloween on Race Matters than talk about cultural appropriation? I'm Sada Khan. Spooky. Oh. I'm Daryl Sargas. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Halloween spooky. Halloween, Halloween is scaring you. Yes. Yeah. White people particularly scare me oh, on Halloween. Cultural preparation, <laughs> terrifying yes. horror story. It is actually. It's a very real thing. It's an everyday thing. It's not just Halloween. Oh, that's so true. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, first off, what is cultural appropriation? It's a super uh, complex concept uh, in that the line between, for many, appreciation and appropriation can sometimes be really blurred. But for now, though, um, and as we do here on Race Matters, we frame things in power. Who has the power? Uh, Ash Takar from The Guardian wrote a really great explanation of what cultural appropriation means today. And I'll read out what she wrote. She said... Uh, Our understanding of cultural appropriation is highly individualized. It's all about what Halloween costume you wear or who's cooking biryani. But the way in which the idea was first used was to describe a relationship of dominance and exploitation between a global ruling class and a globally subjugated one. So basically, if someone benefits off the power imbalance between them and a minority by exploiting them, misrepresenting them, erasing them, putting in a costume... Uh, that's supposed to represent them. Re- represent them. Uh, that is cultural appropriation. Got a text in. You didn't leave your name or where you're from, but you say cultural appropriation doesn't exist. Changed my mind. Um, do you not have any culture? Is that why you don't think cultural appropriation doesn't exist? <laughs> do you come from the dominant culture that is constantly um, appropriating from other people because you don't really have any strong cultural identity yourself? Is that why you think that cultural appropriation isn't a thing? If you're here to chastise, like, we'll chastise back. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> well, that's a thing, you know. We don't know where this person comes from. We didn't know who they are. Yeah. And, I mean, the conversation around cultural preparation is so grey, mm. like, a lot of times. Um, there was a huge campaign years ago um, which 
put it into black and white though, which was my culture is not your costume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's pretty. That's a pretty definitive point right there. Is that my identity is not something that you can pick apart to fit an aesthetic or a mold that you want to make so you look proper deadly at whatever festival you go to. You know, so yeah. you can make some. You know, however many likes you want to get on your Instagram for the night. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, speaking as um, someone who is brown, um, a lot of people will kind of prescribe my identity to be extrapolated to any brown identity. Yes. And therefore, when I I was growing up, there were like Halloween uh, theme, Halloween parties going up. People would be like to me, are you going to come as a Mexican? I'd be like, no. I always got, I always got, are you going to come as Pocahontas? Yeah. I was like, Pocahontas has a tragic story. Pocahontas shouldn't even be a Disney character to begin with because she has a horrific narrative. Yeah. Which is just one of being kidnapped, stolen, slave, like, in, like forced off into slavery. Like she's raped everything. Like, and it's because of Disney. Disney has its own, you know, hand in appropriation as well. But obviously they're trying to correct that with things like Moana now and um, narratives that are actually being driven by the people of those cultures. Um, but yeah, I always got asked that question. Are yeah. you going to go with Pocahontas? Yeah. And when you appropriate these identities into costumes, when you uh, culturally appropriate them, you say that it's okay for that story to exist. You say it's okay for us to make light of the stories of Native Americans. You say it's okay to stereotype Mexicans. You say it's okay when you see someone uh, make a racist joke about a Mexican, you see them presented in a stereotypical way. You say that's okay because you culturally appropriated that to fit your dominant power structure. Yeah, and it's also... um for people of colour as well and the communities that we come from. And when we, you have to understand the um, difficulty we have when we have to live in a, co- a colonised nation like um, Australia, where some of us are First Nations, some of us are not from... Um, not First Nations, but are also coming from disenfranchised communities, uh, you know, from migrant, immigrant families as well. And so you're having to work in a space that is constantly whitewashing out your language and trying to assimilate you into a practice and a system that doesn't um, Mm. benefit you, that doesn't seek to empower you. And so when you're constantly fighting to have your right to practice your culture and practice your language, and then on that one day of the year, someone rolls on in wearing shavakamis, you know, and bindis on their heads and everything, but then they're taking the mickey out of you and your people every other day of the year. It's a a full-on erasure, and and you're spitting in the face of that person and the origins of um, their identity identity as well. It's as simple as that. Absolutely. I mentioned before um, that it can be a grey area when talking about cultural appropriation and we also mentioned before that this extends beyond Halloween and costumes but when the aesthetics of your identity are used by people who aren't you it can be or it can have a very uh, powerful impact. Um, Our our EP uh, Tanya Ali said it uh, so clearly. Uh, She said for example, seeing a white person wear a salwa kameez or similar and being frustrated because as a brown person, I'd read that in a different way uh, wearing that outfit. But then a brown mum or someone from an older generation or a first generation migrant could see that same person and have a surge of pride in her culture. Just because representation means so many different things to so many different people, especially across generations. You mm. know? And I think it's important that if you are coming from that dominant group of people that are appropriating out, do not think that because one person from that culture gave you permission mm. to wear a certain dress or anything like that, that doesn't mean that you now, that person speaks on behalf of that entire community. You know, still understand the lines and those blurred lines. If you think that the lines are blurred, then you probably are about to cross the line. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just don't do it. Like, what are, you get- what are you getting out of a 
bloody and native. And I have seen, like, I've seen people, like, I've have you seen that outfit of um this white couple that went as Beyonce and Jay Z? They I mean, went which they, one? You there's know, a photo there's of a few. No, no, no. There's a photo of a white couple that actually dresses Beyonce and Jay Z, but with no blackface. Oh, I yeah, didn't yeah, see that. No, no, no. They actually wore just the on the run tour outfits, outfits that yeah. um, Beyonce and Jay Z had worn. Yeah. They worn what they um yeah on the run. I think it was the second on the run tour that they did, and they wore what Beyonce and Jay Z wore, and it looked dope. It looked mm. deadly. So it was like, so it's like you know, not people are not saying that you can't, you know, that don't don't darken your skin for starters. Mm. Like just big no no. Don't do not ever ever darken your skin. You will never get away with it. No, no one will ever think it's okay. And you also don't look good. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't look good. It looks disgusting. Yeah. Um. Just even aesthetic. Even if there was no other origin to it, like you know, horrific racial tones towards it, it still looks disgusting. <laughs> just, just objectively, it looks bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is a long history of why blackface is bad, but we don't have the time to go in it. And you should already know about it. Yeah. Uh, got a text in from Jono from Daly Chill. You say, I'm non-white and it bothers me how often I'm told what is and isn't appropriation of my culture by, quote-unquote, woke white people who feel the need to be offended on my behalf. I want to be treated like everyone else, not pat- patronized or have people walk on eggshells around me. Yeah, it's very interesting um, because a lot of uh, the conversation uh, can be dominated by white people. And it can oh, that's um it can cause a lot of um it can infuriate the conversation into an area that doesn't need to go to because it, it does become why people do end up like virtue signaling and jumping in on the conversation and speaking on behalf of people of colour and culture and um what is or isn't cultural appropriation and then those lines will get like definitely blurred and muddied up then and then people mm. don't really know what is cultural appropriation, what's not, it has been taken too far, you know. And then it turns into the whole like, you know, people are too politically correct, totally. people are too sensitive. Um, and I think the whole point in all this, which is the main point what we discussed and all of this stuff is self-determination. People want self-determination of their identities. People want self-determination of their culture and of their roots and to be able to speak for themselves. That's the main thing in all of this. And when you take someone else's culture and use it as a costume and use it as a get-up, you know, to look all fly and real gammon, in my opinion, on Halloween, then that's not, that's, you know, that's you effectively erasing their history and erasing their identity. Um, And another way that erasure happens is also in appropriation of language. Language is another big thing that needs to be acknowledged when we talk about cultural appropriation. And because as First Nations people, a lot of our language words are constantly appropriated out of its origins to name places with no context. And one area that has done that is... Is Barangaroo. So you would know Barangaroo as the site where there's all those banks, KPMG sit there, and the casino sits there. Okay, but Barangaroo was a woman, a very staunch woman, who fought very, very hard. Daringa Barangaroo was her name, and I think she came from the Maroubra area. I'm not 100% sure on that, and she married into um, the Gadigal clans, but I'm not 100% sure on that history line there. Don't quote me on that, but I do know that she didn't come um, directly from Gadigal people. She married within clan groups, and she was a fisherwoman. She was a man. 
within the Sydney region, okay? So it was her role to protect the waterways of the Sydney Harbour. And that was a huge role to have, to be the knowledge holder and the keeper of those waterways there because you had to understand the ecosystems. You had to understand the number of fish and um, the difference of spe- the difference of species as well and what to take and what not to take. And people had to get... And you had to fish all of that out as well. And the man, the women who fished on those harbours in Sydney were some of the, like, best fisher people ever. And so, and the way that they weave their fishing lines too. So, and Doringa Barangaroo, she was known for being very staunch and very rebellious against white European settlement on her lands. And they had to watch 4,000 fish be fished out of the harbour all at once. It was a very, very traumatic experience for them because that was their role, a, a role that they had for generations upon generations of protecting those waterways was stolen from them in that heartbeat, okay, of 4,000 fish being taken at once. And so she fought very hard against any type of white European settlement. That is her story. That is who she is known as. The Barangaroo was known for hating and fighting against invasion on her lands, and she fought very hard to protect her knowledges and protect the practices and songlines of her people, okay? And now what's happened is they've gone and taken her name and named it after a place of casinos and banks and now people only associate her name Barangaroo with wealth with the one percenters nothing about it resonates with who she was and I can tell you right now if Barangaroo was alive today and she saw that site she would hate what it is so that is where appropriation is erasing history that's the root of all of this when we talk about cultural appropriation is when you are erasing stories you're erasing narratives you're erasing history Okay, and that's an example there. When you do it with language, do you like it's happening right now? It's happening to a lot of um, our languages, First Nations people as well, and many other people around, many other First Nations people around the world too. And uh, other elements of that that feed into it is your um, clothing. Okay, other adornments that be make up your identity and the roots of who you are as a cultural person. And we have to fight very hard for the right to have to be able to exhibit that with pride. So when you roll up on Halloween and say, why can't I, you know, culturally appropriate from you? What gives you the right to speak on behalf of all your people? Blah, 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 blah. You just sound like, uh, no, because I'm going to swear in a minute. (laughs) It's just incredibly lazy. It's incredibly irresponsible. And it speaks to your white privilege. And when you question it straight off the bat like that, that just speaks more to your character. And it just tells me again that you have a far, you have a a lot of reflecting you need to do and understanding your position and why you privilege from the systems that we live under. And that's the things that we are constantly discussing here on Race Matters. So if you're a little bit confused by that, go and look in the logbook of Spotify Race Matters episodes. <laughs> Thank you for that history lesson. I feel like a lot of people don't know about the history of Barangaroo and uh, this plays a part in you know denying that erasure and reclaiming the story. Um, yeah, 0409 uh, Barangaroo is a perfect example of the problem of woke capitalism. Mm. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a lot. That's exactly woke capitalism. I love that. That's great. Um. <laughs> that's also a, a form of virtue signaling, essentially. Yes, yes yeah. it is. It is. And it happens a lot with um, language words. And it is relative to um, cultural appropriation of people's um, clothing and um, identity there and how you pick it apart for your costume on Halloween. There are so many more. Like, be clever. Think outside okay, the box. Okay, all right. This, we're running out of time. But, Sarah, i got to ask you, what are you going as uh, for Halloween then? I'm going as fed up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going as someone that has had a really rough 2019 and I've just come out the other end of it and I'm going as someone. Babe, I'm we're going not as even resilient. finished. Oh, good. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs>
I want, can I go as resilience too? Yeah, let's do it together. We're fed up and we're resilient. <laughs> Dick, that's the tag. Wine for race matters from now on. Fed up and resilient. <laughs> that is our time for this afternoon. I'm Darren Lasagas. And I'm Sada Khan. This has been Race Matters on FBI Radio 94.5. Race Matters. 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 Race matters.